Hello, welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Thank you so much for joining us once again this week. We're going to be continuing our discussion of the narcissist and the empath. In this hour, we're going to be focused particularly on the empath. Why is the empath attracted to the narcissist? And what can the empath do to protect him or herself when dealing with the narcissist? So I thought we would start just by discussing why do these two types of personalities tend to attract each other like a moth to a flame? Very well put. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that part of this is, in our last show, we talked a lot about identifying a narcissist, the patterns, the characteristics. So this, this show is more about our part in the relationship because it does take two partners in a relationship or more to really bring out these traits and tendencies. And I think, you know, Christian Northrup in her book, Dodging Energy Vampires, makes a really good point when she said, you know, this is the, the person that, that we see as a narcissist, they're either looking for control or some kind of a narcissistic supply, attention, status, the upper hand. They want something from us. And as open giving people, we are damn straight ready to give it to them. And I think that's important. It's not a good or a bad, but identifying the energy vampire or the narcissist in your life, and then your likelihood of being in a relationship with them is just as equally important. Yes, and the empath is often more on the introverted side of the personality spectrum, whereas the narcissist can be more extroverted. And I think those two opposites often attract as well. Because the shy empath is going to look at the confident narcissist and say, that looks really nice. I like that. I, I respect that. And they can be drawn to that illusion of that personality. Right. Well, they may feel like a, a relationship that doesn't have that, that excitement and that intrigue and confidence might seem really boring. Um, you That's, know, the whole opposites attract deal, too. Right. Right. Well, and also the narcissist is so good at getting to know what a person really needs. And then they will, like a chameleon, match themselves to those needs. So in the beginning, you think, wow, this person is perfect for me. I'm so lucky that we found each other. So there's a lot of false fantasy type stuff going on that can be really hard to see in the beginning. And I think a really good point to consider is Narcissists generally can read people really well. I mean, we may be sensitive and feel it and know it and all of those things, but narcissists are usually very, very competent at finding very quickly someone's vulnerabilities or what their needs are or you know how to, to tap on those puppet strings. So the more you can learn to know about yourself and what your strengths are or your vulnerabilities, that gives you a buffer zone against that narcissistic pattern or person getting to you. Yeah, there's even a name for that. It's called malignant intuition. That's right. I remember and, that. We had that yeah. conversation. And it's been proven that they do have a keen intuitive sense where they'll kind of know when you're feeling down or doubtful and they will, you know, like a, like a wolf on the hunt, they will tune in and, and find that. And just, it can feel so real. It can feel so real and true. And, oh my goodness, this person truly does like me, love me, want me, whatever 
little verb tense you want to put in there, but I, I think that it's as we get to know more about ourselves as empaths, we may choose to even stay with a narcissist because there are so many other traits that counteract that. But once we are stronger with ourselves, it gives us more tools to use. Right, which is why knowledge is power. Right. That's often another really good question to ask is, are you the person giving all of the emotional, spiritual, physical, financial investment in the relationship, you know, the whole, not just intimacy, but other aspects, if you're given 80% or 90% or the higher percentage and always feeling that, I mean, do you feel, end up feeling drained? Do you end up feeling sick? So we can go through, we've talked about this in so many shows. And I think what we're trying to do is help you identify the empathic strengths, weaknesses, <laughs> indifferences, so that you can better navigate these patterns with someone. Right, because so often empaths see their sensitivity as a weakness when really it is our greatest strength. It's our superpower. The narcissist will try to manipulate and abuse that sensitivity. But once, once everyone is adequately, authentically recognized for who and what they are, that knowledge will give the empath power to say, no, my sensitivity is not a weakness. It is not my vulnerability. It is my strength. And I can look at you and love you and want the best for you and still not engage in this narcissistic behavior. Right. And um, most of, I, mean, I know so many of, of the people who listen, all of you who are listening, have read Dr. Judith Orloff's book on, you know, uh, the and past survival guide, but there's one little blurb that she has in the middle of the book, and it's on how do you know if, you're, you, if you've met a narcissist or an energy vampire, and the physical and emotional things that you may go through, and some signs to watch for might be feeling tired and just wanting to go to sleep after you've been around this person. Or all of a sudden, it's like someone hit the light switch and you're in a really nasty mood when you were in an okay place before that. Do you feel physically sick? Do you feel like you're not seen or heard when you're around this person? And this one's interesting. Do you reach for the sugar or the carbs for a boost? And this isn't something they talk about with a lot of empaths, but I think emotional eating is a huge thing for a lot of empaths because it's a way to self-soothe. And some people may choose. I've, I've been reading about this a lot and talking to a lot of people about this because I think that there is that physiological rush that we get from the carbs and the sugar that may help deflect some of the, um, the feelings that were around narcissistic people. You can start doubting yourself and becoming self-critical. You may become anxious or angry or negative when you didn't feel that way before, or even feeling shamed, controlled, or judged. So I think those are really important things to kind of keep in the back of your mind as a checklist of oh my goodness, I do feel five out of seven of these things, or I do start to, as soon as I talk to this person and get off the phone, I'm in the candy or the cookies. Or what I think, again, goes back to knowing yourself and being aware of your own patterns. You know, I think I shared this on a previous episode, but they did a study on Tibetan monks, and they wanted to find out why they had a higher rate of diabetes than the average population. It just didn't make sense because they have such a healthy diet. 
And one of the things the researchers came away with was because they were suppressing their negative emotions of anger or hostility and often righteous anger, they were looking to add more sweetness to their life. And so they were eating a lot of sweets and that led to diabetes. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Right, it does. And so oftentimes I think people will emotionally eat as a way to give validity to their emotions that they're suppressing. And empaths will do this almost without thinking. You know, we, we're so focused on helping others and being there for others that it's almost a reflex to suppress our own needs. And sometimes that can come out in emotional eating. Right, and making that buffer zone. I won't be as vulnerable if I don't feel as attractive or if I, and we've talked about, uh, I think someone we had on the show talked about, you know, if you carry weight in your midsection, you're protecting your solar plexus. You're keeping that buffer zone so that you can't be hurt as easily. And I've talked to, a, it seems like a pattern with a lot of readings lately of people saying, I can't seem to lose this weight. I can't seem to drop this weight. And most of the people have been ridiculously empathic and sensitive that I've talked to. So I think that's interesting, an interesting correlation. I do too. Well, remember that study I sent you by Dr. Julie Bachel, who was researching the mediums and found out that so many of them had chronic illness or overweight issues? Right. And she wasn't sure if it was something to do with the psychic ability or if it was that their empathy had, you know, just gotten to a level where they were using these other things to protect themselves. Right. So I think that's common with empaths, intuitives, um, anyone who is feeling too much. I agree. And as far as um, qualities that can become vulnerabilities, and I think the, the caveat here is, Sometimes our vulnerabilities can leave us more open for manipulation and control from someone else. And if you're very naive, I mean, and I, I want to see the best in people. I really do. From the where and the way I grew up, I do have pretty damn good street smarts as well. But my default position is to... Uh, really I want to see the best in people I want to trust them I want to not I don't want to see people as cunning or devious or or trying to get something out of me at at my cost and I think that's a huge thing for so many of us is we're coming from such a place of heart that we don't want to see that in someone else I never thought of that as being naive that's interesting Whenever I'm around people who are very overtly mean or cruel, it's like it's like being punched in the gut. I'm always shocked by it and surprised by it, you know? Just the other day, I was at a stoplight, and I hate it when people do this, and I did it. I was um, trying to find something in my purse at the stoplight, and it turned green, and I didn't know. And the person behind me beat my horn. I beeped their horn and I looked in the rearview mirror and I waved an apology and mouth. I'm so sorry. And I, and I went off and he passes me and puts his window down, gives me the finger and just screams at me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, it was such a, it was so upsetting. It took me a while to shake that feeling of, oh, I upset someone and I didn't even mean to. And, and then to see their reaction so over the top 
I also have that response when someone lies and I know they're lying. That's such a shock to my system. I had this conversation with someone yesterday about when someone is so confident, they, they master, and what it was was I had known someone who was a pathological liar and this person, highly, highly, highly intelligent, actually studied how to identify a liar and then mastered all of those like you know that a lot of times people will uh their eyes will very very quick like a flash go to the left if they're lying they won't blink they won't i mean there's a whole series of things well this person mastered all of those and was able to bareface lie because he had practiced those skills so that's wow. a level of narcissism that takes it. <laughs> you get a gold star for that shit. I mean, come on now. <laughs> wow. I never thought of people doing that because yeah. I always look at pathological liars as it's a reflex for them too. You know, just the way it's a reflex for empaths to want to help others and put others first. I always looked at liars as that's their defense reflex. They just lie. And I always thought it was just rooted in childhood to avoid getting into trouble. I never thought of someone studying, how can I do this better? Right. And don't, don't, I can see a little uh, bridge to narcissism with that. Yeah, just, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another, another thing that is, actually, I think this is a wonderful trait. And I, you know, when we have the conversation, pride comes before a great fall, but being conscientious. So, but another way to look at that is, are you harder on yourself than anyone else? Do you give the narcissist the benefit of the doubt when he or she hurts you? Are you willing to blame yourself when the vamp when that person attacks you? So do you always suck it all up and say, well, I must have done something wrong or I shouldn't have, or maybe if when you hold it all, when you're being so conscientious and I've see similar to your reaction to being naive, conscientiousness I've never seen as a negative or no. a detriment. No, me neither. Well, I can see now why it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see how easily you would do that. Oh, I shouldn't have talked to him about this. I knew he was having a bad day. Why did I do that? I shouldn't have confronted my boss before I didn't do this. I mean, I, I can totally see how someone would do that. I just didn't associate it with conscientiousness. No. So it's interesting choices of words, but it brings up some topics that really... And this is from uh, psychologist Dr. George Simon Jr., who has identified these similar qualities in people. Um, and this one we're all very, very comfortable with, and many of us are, I shouldn't say all, low self-esteem and low self-confidence. And people will play off that in a heartbeat if they know that you're uncomfortable about your physical appearance or your intelligence or your whatever it might be. Um, and how for us as empathic people, how do we learn to face that kind of a conflict directly without it undermining and bringing us back into that place of feeling less? Right. And that can be really hard. And, and I think that is best done through time, meditation, reflection, journaling, and therapy. Perfect. Because a lot of empaths are very secure in some areas of their life. 
and then insecure in just one or two areas, and the narcissist will hone in on those. Right, and we've talked about that. I remember we had the conversation about never doubting that we were bright, intelligent people because we did so well in academics and we have excelled in that and we're constantly learning and we have a strong base of knowledge and a big variety. So that's never, that's never a self-confidence thing, is it, about not being smart enough? Right. But there are other aspects that we've shared with people and with each other that that, so my gut feeling is the narcissist isn't going to attack the intelligence because they know you don't have, for us, you don't have any weakness in that area. But if you're weak about, you know, something you may feel guilty or shame or less secure about, that's what they'll hone in on. Right. And I have found the best response to that is to just own it. Yes. They don't know what to do when, when you just own it. It kind of stops them in their tracks. Like a trivial example, I'm terrible at sports. I wish I were better, but I don't have an athletic bone in my body. If I were insecure about that, you know, that would be an issue. But I'm not because I've just owned it. And so if someone asks me to play tennis, I'll just say, sure, I don't know if I'll ever return the ball to you, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> and if they... And if they make fun of me for how I run or something, I just go, yeah, I know, it's pathetic. I'm not a good runner. And I just found when I own it, it takes all the steam out of it. And it also keeps you comfortable with who you are. Right. I love that. That's a good example. You know, and also, I think to kind of piggyback on what we were just talking about, if you tend to intellectualize things a lot, always try to understand or explain someone's behavior and then make it rational and logical. I am so damn guilty of this. I, I will try to make it logical when something, you know how we've talked a lot about we'll get an intuitive hit and then the logical side of our brain will kick in and we'll double guess ourselves and we'll double right. guess the sign or the connection. I think it's the same thing with being around a narcissist. We'll have all of this stuff that they're waving the red flags, but we'll say, well, no, but really rationally, she had a really long day today, or I know he's really upset about what's going on with his mother. Her dog, I mean, well, given an excuse or a rationalization, and I think getting too much in our heads about that or believing there has to be a reason they're acting that way, that's a bad one for me. I, mm -hmm. Because I'm a behaviorist, and that's what I was trained to do for so many years, I always think there should be a catalyst for the behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then excusing that behavior because of the catalyst. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, there's, I think it's a very comprehensive picture, but the big stuff, and I don't think it's age-related. I don't think this is, oh, you're at this age, so you've had more experience. I think these are skills that someone, I talked to a young woman yesterday, a couple days ago, and I said to her, I said, I am just so damn impressed with how much you've mastered in such a short time you've been on the planet. You you're, are getting over, and similar, it's all about this topic we're talking about. And I said, a lot of people don't get this realization until they're in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, by you getting this out of the way so early. So I think that that's the key. If you are younger or older or in between, it doesn't matter. You can still see these traits in yourself and how can you use them to your advantage, your protection, and to enjoy your life more and not be so manipulative. I think that's the key. 
How many clients have we talked to through the years who are in miserable relationships with narcissists and they will not get out because of their age? Right. They'll say, well, I'm too old. I don't want to live alone at this stage. I don't want to deal with the finances of being on my own. And then we'll talk to them 10 years later and they are exactly, if not more miserable than they were 10 years before. That always stays with me because I just think, man, if you could just have the confidence this one year to take this leap of faith in one more year, in five more years, in 10 years, you're going to be so much happier and freer. So I don't think age should ever be a factor that holds anyone back with anything, but especially with a narcissistic relationship. I agree. And I, it's interesting because when you said that, I also thought about people will say, oh, I don't want to have to start all over with someone else. This person knows my history or they know my story. I don't want to have to start from the beginning all over again. And sometimes starting from the beginning is a really good place to be. Yeah, it really is. And I think, too, I, I've said this so many times, we tend to downplay emotional abuse. And the only thing that really matters in terms of abuse is physical abuse. And it should. That's bad enough. But if we started to look at narcissistic abuse as though it were physical abuse, and sometimes it is, but I'm separating the two for this example. If you started to look at narcissistic abuse as though it were punches or kicks, you probably wouldn't stay right. in that job, in that relationship, in that friendship. But empaths in particular tend to overlook emotional abuse, make excuses for it, overthink it, rationalize it, and they stay. And, you know, really, it goes back to that Robin Williams quote when he said, I don't think being alone is the worst thing. I think being with someone and feeling all alone is the worst thing. Incredibly, incredibly important to remember. Incredibly. It's, it's everything in this situation because, and this goes back to what we said in the last show about if someone is always presenting in public that they're friendly and loving and kind and you have this picture-perfect relationship, you're, you may not have the support you need to step out. You may not, people say, what the hell are you thinking? He's a great guy. She's a beautiful woman. She's so kind. They, they, they don't know the other side of it. And if you've been worn down emotionally or spiritually or mentally from being in a long-term relationship or even a short-term relationship with someone who is, has such strong narcissistic tendencies, the self-doubt can override being able to propel yourself forward or being able to, to find it in yourself to say, oh, it isn't me. This really is messed up. But if everyone else in the world is seeing it as idyllic or oh well all couples go through things but they never see what's behind the curtain that right i i have so much compassion for anyone listening who's in that situation because that's when you leave someone and they say what he was such a nice guy what's wrong with you and they don't have any clue as to what your life has been like yeah that can be very hard and very isolating now there's a I don't want to call it a dark side to being an empath, but there's a the, the not so good side of being an empath is that we tend to focus on being there for everyone, fixing everyone, healing everyone, being everyone's cheerleader. That's all lovely and good. But the dark side of that is often empaths do that as a decoy from dealing with their own stuff. And the narcissist will rely on that. 
So one of the best things you can do is practice sacred selfishness and take a summer, a year, a moment off from being there for everyone else to face your shadow side, to face your fears, to face the things that do trigger you and turn them not into faults, but into facts that empower you. And finding the strength to do that or giving yourself permission to do that. That's a big one because if you've been in this mire of shame, guilt, manipulation, all those things, finding it that you deserve that, you deserve to be. We would, ne and I say this to myself, I say it to other people, you would never ever treat someone the way you're allowed to be treated, you're allowing someone to treat you. Right. We, we wouldn't do it. We couldn't live with ourselves. Right. But yet, bolstering ourselves up to say, oh no, we're not doing this. This isn't working for me either. And we, we've talked to where ready to fall down about the importance of setting boundaries. And maybe some of those boundaries are with ourselves of saying, just for me, for today, I'm not going to tolerate this. And you may need to come up with a long-term plan or a longer-term plan to figure out how to ease out of a situation, how to tiptoe backwards out of the room. But any step you take in that direction is going to empower you to take the next step. Excellent. Excellent reminder. I have 10 tips for dealing with the narcissist. Would you like to hear and share them with me? I'd love to. Okay. So my first tip is don't engage. If possible, don't engage the narcissist because they tend to love the back and forth fighting, the drama. They like to trigger you. They like to get that big rush, that hit of negative energy. And so if you don't show up to the fight, you're not going to have an issue. And that's a really good tactic to employ. I'm not going to have this fight with you today. Remember that story I shared with you years ago? I was having an argument with someone and it was just back and forth, back and forth, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I meditated with my guide and I said, how do I deal with this? And he showed me, me and this woman having a tug of war fight over a big puddle of mud. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I know that's what we're doing. <laughs> that doesn't help me. And then he said, let go of the rope. And when I did, she fell in the mud. And it was just such a great visual reminder of how if you let go and walk away from the fight, really you're the one winning. Now, another great strategy for dealing with the narcissist is to, as we said before, recognize your triggers and don't let yourself be manipulated by them. I have another story where my guide helped me with that. One time I was on the phone with my mom and she was just really going off on me and, you know, how I wasn't the best daughter and I should have done this better or this differently. And I just, I felt like I had just been verbally, you know, smacked up and down the side of my face. And I hung up the phone and I was like, well, this doesn't feel good. And so I went into meditation and I said to my guide, like, what do I do? Like, I, this is just very hard to deal with. And all I heard in return was, you're Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm actually not a Chinese person. And he said, then why do you believe her lies? Oh, and it was really powerful to think about how when someone triggers you, it's because some part of you is agreeing with what they are saying to you. Or they've told you that that's who you are for so long. Yes, that you believe it, you're buying into it, and it's not even true. Mm -hmm. And so I think to recognize 
what is it that triggers you? What is it that makes you just go, oh, that's so wrong, that's not right, and makes you feel bad? And try to turn those around on themselves. Another technique to dealing with the narcissist is to use their insecurities against them. If you have a narcissist who's trying to make you do something that you don't want to do, and you know that narcissists care so much about you know, how it looks on the outside, use that. Well, what would people think? What would people say if this happened or that happened? That can sometimes make them pause and go, oh. And then you can sometimes be the more successful one in that debate. If you're in a heated moment with a narcissist and you can't walk away and you don't know what to do, deflect with humor. I don't think that's a good long-term strategy, but I think in the moment that can work. So for example, if you're... You know, if your sister says, Denise, did you mean to do that to your hair? Rather than getting all triggered and upset, just laugh and say, I know, it's a mess today, isn't it? And just make a joke about it. It'll just calm it right down. If you're having an argument with a narcissist, stick to the facts. Sometimes you might even have to write them down and refer to notes. But if you are really and truly trying to have an argument with a narcissist, which is kind of impossible. But if you need to get, especially if you're arguing with like a narcissistic boss and you need to get a point across, stick to your facts. I, I once had a coworker who was stealing our lunches right from the faculty refrigerator. And we all knew she was doing it. Several of us had witnessed her doing it. And we decided to confront her. And she started engaging that circular argument. Well, I just had surgery and I don't have time and I don't even know what you guys are talking about. And my knee has been acting up. Every time we would say, you've been stealing our lunches, she would go into victim mode. And finally, I just kept repeating the facts. I had three facts and I just kept repeating them over and over. And finally, she admitted to stealing the lunches and said she wouldn't do it again. And she didn't? And she didn't. I think that's a rare example, though, because in all the research I've done with narcissists, they always say, you cannot win an argument with a narcissist, don't even try, don't have that expectation, because all they care about is winning. It's also important to get support and to look to friends, look to a therapist, start to talk about this situation. I think all of this negativity with a narcissist loves to hide in the dark, loves to be kept secret. And if you can start to share it, it really does shine a light on it. I remember once I had a friend and I knew she was dealing with a difficult situation with a narcissist in her life. And she would drop hints. You know how people will kind of tell you some of the situation, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. And finally, one day I just said to her, who are you protecting? Wow. And she later told me that that one question shifted everything for her because it made her realize that she was doing all these things to protect this person when that was not helping the situation at all. So think about who is your support system. You're not going to get support from the narcissist. You're not. And if you do get support, it's going to be false support and temporary support. So start to connect with a support system that's of your own creation. Don't allow yourself to get derailed. Narcissists are really good at getting you off topic. If you're trying to nail them down on something that they have done that has hurt you, 
they will bring up something you did maybe 15 years ago. And then suddenly you find yourself arguing about something you may or may not have done 15 years ago, and they're off the hook for what they did 10 minutes ago. So do not allow them to derail you. Again, sometimes just writing your facts down and having it on a post-it note to refer to while you're talking to them can help. Set and stick to your boundaries. If you break a boundary or allow one of your boundaries to be broken one time, that's all the narcissist needs and they will never respect another boundary again. And you want to be really clear about that or you can set yourself up for a lot of issues. You know, in the last show, we were talking about how something a narcissistic parent will do often is say, well, all holidays are going to be at my house. That's it, because they want to control it. I remember when I was first married, my mother-in-law wanted all the holidays at her house, and my mom wanted all the holidays at her house. Mm -hmm. So guess what I did? I had all the holidays at my house. In the moment, it worked because all the families were together, but 10, 15 years down the road, I was exhausted because every holiday was at my house. So you want to set a boundary one time and stick to it, or you might end up cooking turkey for the rest of your life for 20 people. <laughs> That's a very good point. You also um, need to expect and be prepared for the pushback and fallout. When you start to get empowered and stand up for yourself, the narcissist will react in very big ways that are sometimes scary, sometimes threatening, sometimes just draining. If you expect that and prepare for it and plan for it, you will be better prepared to deal with it. So you won't have that, you know, that shock feeling I was talking about when that man in the car just went off on me. Right. If you're expecting it, you're not going to have that <gasps> feeling and you're going to be better prepared to handle it. You also should consider getting any promises the narcissist makes in writing or have witnesses when they make a promise or have them repeat it back to you. Sometimes a narcissist will make promises just to get you to do a favor for them in the moment and then they'll conveniently forget the, the promise they made to you or they'll act as though they never made that promise in the first place. It's another form of gaslighting. But I just was thinking about when you said you have to ask permission to record people. But now with everybody carrying, most people carrying a smartphone, I, I bet that that's been a tool a lot of folks have used. I never said yeah. that. Oh, well, wait a minute. Yes, you did. Boom. There it is. Yeah. I think it can be really helpful to do that with a narcissist because they love to backtrack. Right. And if you have their voice or their signature or their validation that it is them, it's much, much easier to talk themselves out of that corner. Exactly. So I think those are just general tips. Those are, by all means, are not all the tips and techniques you can do to deal with the narcissist in your life. But I think overall, don't you, Denise, it's about getting your power back. And I want to add one more thing that if you haven't been in healthy relationships, learning how to be in them, whether it's with a partner, a friend, a family member, a work person, that's a really difficult transition for a lot of us. So uh, there's a book, How to Be an Adult in Relationship, The Five Keys to Mindful Loving by David Rico, I think R-I-C-H-O. And he, he identifies five things in a healthy relationship. And they're the five A's, attention, appreciation, 
approval, affection, and allowing. And his premise is if you have those aspects in a relationship, and there is reciprocity with that, that you're feeling that, that you're appreciated and seen, and there's affection that's appropriate, all of those things, and you're able to give that back, that's a sign of a really healthy relationship. And for so many, if you've been in, if you've grown up with narcissistic people, which has transitioned into a narcissistic partnership, learning how to be in a healthy relationship is, it's not easy. It's not like all of a sudden, like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to be around narcissists anymore. It, it's a little unsettling, but it can be done and it can, and it's all the things we've talked about with setting the boundaries, seeing your own light, bolstering your own self-esteem, not falling into guilt and shame. But again, it's, it takes, I, I believe it takes time to learn how to be healthy. It does, but it's worth it. And that's why being truthful with yourself in all aspects of your life is so important. Facing up to the fact that, yes, there is a narcissist in your life and, and not making excuses for them or you anymore is really crucial to learning to deal with this. You know, there's a line from a song I love. It says, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. <laughs> So I don't think any of this is easy by any means, but I do think it's some of the most important work we can do in our life. That's why recognizing that you are an empath is so important. Recognizing who is and is not a narcissist in your life is so important. And you know, there's a difference between an energy vampire and a narcissist. And I just want to make that clear real quick. A narcissist is someone who's out for their own gain and they really can't see anyone else's needs but their own. An energy vampire is can be a narcissist, but is generally just someone who's more on the negative side and is very needy and draining. That's important to remember. Yeah, and so just starting to look honestly at yourself and your relationships is really the first step in empowering yourself to making great choices that are going to help you succeed. And you know, you're talking about having a healthy relationship and learning to have a healthy relationship. Yes, that is so important. I think even more important than that is learning to have a healthy relationship with yourself and start to monitor the thoughts that you have about yourself. And if you, you know, think about how kind you are to other people, think about how accommodating and compromising and solicitous you are with the other people in your life and see if it's different with you and yourself, you know? Like, so many people will say, if we all treated everyone else the way we treat ourselves, we'd have no friends. Mm -hmm. Right, and so, there's no wiggle room on that one. You have to build the relationship with yourself to be able to share that aspect of yourself with someone else in, from a place of truth and an open heart. Because if you haven't made that relationship with yourself, how are you going to be able to share that with some, it doesn't, I, I can't see that bridge. No, I can't either. And you can't look to anyone else to fill those cracks or voids that may have been created in you in childhood. Your parents can't do it. Your partner can't do it. Your friends can't do it. Only you can do it. And you can only do that through loving and accepting yourself as you are where you are. Are there any other tips we haven't mentioned? 
No, I think we've covered a lot. And I okay. just really want to say one more time that it's not a bad thing to be kind and open and loving. I say this a lot. I believe this in my soul. If each of us raise our vibration, it causes a ripple effect, which is going to help other people raise theirs. And it's going to help dispel this polarity between the light and dark right now. I think it's what we're, what we're here for. I do too. Path. I believe that in my soul. I do too. I think we are all as, as a universe, as earthlings going through this big shift in consciousness. And I do think that's why more people are waking up to the fact that they are empaths and that they do have this intuitive ability and that their loving kind soul is an asset. And the more that we wake up and the more that we wake each other up, the less and less and less the dark is going to have power over us. Mm -hmm. So that's an excellent reminder. Thank you for ending the show with that. We hope that this has been helpful and insightful to you. Don't forget to check our Facebook page where we have a really good list of books and further resources you can look to for more information on this topic. And if you have any books that we didn't mention or insights that have helped you deal with the narcissist in your life, please share them with us. You can email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. We'd love to hear from you. And, and if we get some good stories, we'll share them in our next Q, uh, Community Connection show as well. So thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week. Don't forget to always show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.